Section 17 of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet. Translated by Marion McIntyre. Section 17. Alsace, Alsace. I have most delightful memories of a journey I made some years ago through Alsace. Not that insipid railroad journey which leaves naught behind but the recollection of a country cut by rails and telegraph wires. My journey was afoot, knapsack upon my shoulders, with a good stout stick for my comrade and a companion who was not too talkative. The best way to travel, and what vivid memories one retains of all he has seen in that fashion, especially of late, now that Alsace is closed against us, all my former impressions of that lost land returned to me. What delicious surprises awaited one upon those long rambles through that beautiful country, where the woods raised their dark background like great green curtains in the rear of peaceful villages flooded with sunshine, where, at some winding of the mountains, one would sight belfry towers and factories, well supplied with streams, sawmills, windmills, and here and there some striking figure in unfamiliar costume darting up from the fresh verdure of the plain. Every morning we were up with the sun. Mozi, Mozi, it is four o'clock, the inn-servant would call to us. We jumped out of bed quickly, and our knapsacks buckled, groped our way down the frail little stairway, over which every step echoed. Downstairs, before setting out, we drank a glass of kirsch in one of those big inn-kitchens where an early fire was kindling with a crackling of twigs that brought to mind the remembrance of the fog clinging to damp windows. We set out. It requires an effort at first. At that early hour, all the weariness of the preceding night returns. Our eyes, and the air as well, are full of slumber. By degrees, the damps of the early dew are scattered. The morning mist evaporates in the sun. Once started, we trudge on. When the heat becomes too oppressive, we halt and breakfast by a spring or a brook, and then fall asleep in the grass, lulled by the murmuring of the water. We are awakened by the noise of a big bee, which just grazes us whizzing by like a bullet. Cooler than before, we set out again. After the sun has begun to descend, the road does not seem as long as before. We seek a resting place, an asylum for the night, and, thoroughly weary, fall asleep, sometimes in the bed of an inn, sometimes in a barn left open, at the foot of a haystack, in the open air, disturbed by no other sounds than the murmur of birds, the chirping of insects among the leaves, light, springing steps and silent flocks, all that nocturnal music which, when one is very weary, falls upon his ear as if part of a dream. What were the names of those charming Alsatian villages which we met at regular intervals at the road's end? I cannot now recall the name of one of them, and, in fact, they all resembled each other so closely, especially as we traveled through Autrin, that after we had passed through a number of them at different times, it did not seem to me that we had seen more than one. There was the main road, 
and the houses looking upon it all had windows with tiny panes, encased in leaden frames, garlanded with hop and rose vines. Over the latticed gates leaned old men smoking their big pipes, or women stooped, calling their children, playing upon the road. In the morning when we passed by, all was wrapped in slumber. We could scarcely hear the rustling of straw in the stables, or the panting breath of the dogs under the gates. The village we reached two leagues further on is just awaking. The sound of the opening of shutters is heard, the splashing of bucketfuls of water. Gutters overflow. The cows troop lazily to the watering troughs, brushing away the flies with their long tails. Farther on, the next village looks just like the preceding one, but about it broods the deep silence of a summer afternoon, interrupted only by the drowsy sing-song of the village school and the monotonous hum of bees scaling the clambering vines which reached to the very top of each chalet. And always one is sure of lighting upon some little corner which reminds him that the village is merely a part of the province. Sometimes a white two-story house with a new shining insurance sign upon it, or one cites a notary's scutcheon, or a doctor's bell. The passer-by hears the notes of a piano, and strains of a waltz, somewhat antiquated, it is true, float to him through the green blinds as he stands upon the sunny road. Later, twilight descends. The cattle come home. Spinners are returning. All is bustle and commotion. The doorways are full of people, troops of little flaxen heads in the streets. The windows are aflame with the last ray of the dying sun, coming one knows not whence. I still recall with delight a Sabbath morning in an Alsatian village, service time, the streets deserted, the houses emptied, but here and there an old man sunning himself before some doorway, the church full of people, and streaming through its panes the delicate rose tints of tapers burning by day, the plain chant coming in fitful bursts along the passage, a choir boy in scarlet cassock hurriedly crossing the place, bareheaded, censer in hand, to get a light at the baker's shop. Sometimes for whole days we would not enter a single village. We sought the shade of many a coppice, of untrodden byways and delicate thickets fringing the Rhine, spots where its beautiful green waters were lost in marshland swarming with insects. Through the slender tracery of many a branch, we could see the great river for miles and miles, laden with rafts, floats loaded with grass cut on the islands and seeming themselves like tiny floating islands borne on by the current. Farther on, the canal leading from the Rhone to the Rhine, with its long border of poplars, their green tops almost touching each other, reflected in those familiar waters, narrowed, hemmed in by artificial banks. Here and there, the small lodge of the lock-keeper was seen, and children running barefoot over the bars of the lock, and, amidst splashing of foam, huge floats loaded with wood advanced slowly across the entire breadth of the canal. After we had had enough of zigzag and rambling paths, 
we would retrace our steps along the white main road which leads straight towards Basel, a cool, refreshing road shaded by walnut trees, the chain of the Vosges on the right, the black forest on the opposite side. And when the July sun grew too oppressive, oh, what delightful halts I have made at the edge of that road leading to Basel, stretched at full length in the dry grass of some ditch, listening to the music of partridges calling from field to field, and overhead the main road with its dismal sounds, a carter's oath, a passing bell, the creaking of an axle, the sound of a pickaxe breaking stones, the hurried gallop of a gendarme, at which a flock of geese scatter in terror, peddlers bent beneath their packs, the letter-carrier, his blue blouse trimmed with red braid, suddenly leaving the highway to disappear from sight upon a little cross-road bordered with wild hedges, at the end of which one feels sure of coming upon a hamlet, a farmhouse, an isolated life. And then those delightful surprises of a journey afoot, those shortcuts that lengthen indefinitely, the deceptive tracks of carriage-wheels, the trail of horses' hoofs which lead straight to some field, the deaf gates which will not open at your call, the inns full of people when you arrive, and the sudden shower, that delicious summer shower, which the warm air evaporates so quickly, though the steaming plains, the fleece of flocks, and even the herdsman's coat attest its presence. I remember how a terrific storm surprised us in this fashion, as we were crossing the woods, descending the Ballon d'Alsace. As we quitted the inn at its summit, the clouds were literally beneath us. A few pines raised their tops above them, but as we descended, we actually entered a land of wind and rain and hail. Soon we were imprisoned, enmeshed in a perfect network of lightnings. Almost at our feet, a fir fell with a crash, struck by lightning, and whilst we went tumbling down a short schlittage, we saw through a film of gushing water a group of tiny maidens who had sought shelter amongst the rocks. Terrified, pressing closely against each other, their hands had all they could do to hold their calico aprons and their small wicker baskets filled with black bilberries freshly picked. On each tiny berry glistened a point of light, and the little black eyes which darted at us from that hiding-place in the rocks resembled those shining berries. The great fir lying prone upon the descent, the reverberation of the thunder, the sight of these tiny rovers of the forest so charming in their tatters, it all reminded one of some tale of Canon Schmitz. And what a delightful flame welcomed us when we reached Rouge Goutte, what a splendid fire to dry our clothing, while we heard an omelette crackling, that inimitable omelette of Alsace, crisp and golden as a cake. The morning after the storm, I saw a sight which impressed me. On the road to Dammarie, at a turn of the hedge, was a magnificent field of wheat, cut down, despoiled, soaked with the rain, its broken stalks spreading upon the ground in all directions. The heavy and ripened ears had dropped their treasure in the mud, and hosts of tiny birds were feeding upon that lost harvesting, hopping about the hollows filled with wet straw, scattering the wheat far and wide, 
a sinister sight, this pillaging beneath that clear sky and in the bright sunshine. Regarding his ruined field stood a great tall peasant, bent in figure, clothed in the costume of ancient Alsace. Genuine sorrow could be read upon his features, yet at the same time a certain calm and resignation, and I know not what vague hope, as if he would tell himself that though his harvest was despoiled, the earth beneath belonged to him always, fertile, quickening, faithful, and that while the soil remained his own, he need not despair. End of section 17 Recording by Linda Johnson